We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Recap of the Rams comeback win on Thursday Night Football. And some of the biggest games we're most excited about for Sunday. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas, brought to you by WinBet. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all his great work at Rotoviz. Sean, it wasn't really that exciting of a game last night. The Rams and the Raiders. There's not a lot of fantasy relevant players, frankly, on these teams. The Raiders are very concentrated offense. That has been very fantasy relevant. The, the Jacobs and Adams duo, particularly. But it also means that there's not a lot of players, volume-wise, on the Raiders' offense that matter. Maybe you were playing a Mac Hollins. Then the Rams, more or less, just don't have anyone that stayed healthy or matters at all. Probably, a, you know, a few Cam Akers out there. Maybe some Van Jeffersons. They start with John Wolford under center. They go pretty quickly to Baker Mayfield to get some things going for them. But still, they're down 13 points late. And, I mean, the, the headlines this morning were that, that Mayfield, two days with the team, brought them back, won the game. He looked solid at times. He made some plays. The Raiders go offsides on a fourth-quarter punt when they were up 16-3 to give the Rams a first down. Rams go on the long drive after that to score. There's about 11 minutes to go with that punt. The Raiders just let them punt. Rams maybe don't even get two more possessions, but they go on to score. And then you have, after the Raiders, I mean, first of all, the Raiders get a third and one, clock running. They convert that, they can kneel out the game, and they put Jacobs in at fullback and try a little bit of a gimmicky thing and get stuffed. So they punt it all the way down to the two-yard line, and then the Rams give up, excuse me, the Raiders give up a defensive pass interference that negates an interception that I'm not sure really impacted the play too much. And then an unsportsmanlike conduct after a sack that would have put them well behind the sticks with a running clock, no timeouts. I felt like the Raiders really kind of blew this more than Baker Mayfield did anything that special, but he looked okay. He did. And it was kind of funny too, because it was almost a situation where just seeing these guys sometimes in the different uniforms makes a little bit of a difference. You see Mayfield in that Rams uniform, as opposed to what you're getting there with the Panthers. And all of a sudden you're like, well, the arm strength I mean, it looks okay. I mean, not great, but with the Panthers, it looked like he could barely throw the ball across the line of scrimmage, in part because he didn't want to throw the ball across. And 
also you do have the defensive linemen who are mostly knocking the balls down he threw some non-batted passes in the game last night so we have to give him some credit for that you mentioned all those mistakes that the raiders made and i mean it was almost impossible for the rams to have won this game and yet you still look back at it i think and I mean, yeah, they, they had it won. If they don't do really any of those things that you talked about, then they're going to win this game. Derek Carr wasn't extremely effective. 11 for 20. He throws the two picks, the one in the first half, you know, before, I mean, the one at the end is just a desperation heave. But the first half play, I mean, I've been a Derek Carr backer. And I think what he has done this year with Devontae Adams suggests that there you know is some truth to the pro case the interception he threw there at the end of the first half is one of those plays where you know your coach is going to be trying to decide whether or not they need to go in a different direction that's kind of been the case for Carr his entire career and yet what you see in this game is that they let a team that is absolutely terrible hang around despite the fact that the Raiders were rising I mean they're probably not going to make the playoffs if they win this game but they're on such a run and it's such a, a good feeling story for them. When it, just a couple of weeks ago, it's a case of is McDaniel's going to get fired? Is Carr going to be jettisoned in some fashion? And you know, Devonte Adams lights the world on fire and, and makes his case again to be considered among the top, really three or four wide receivers of all time. And then you go into this game where Josh Jacobs carries twenty-seven times, does not average four yards per attempt. He has a little bit of a hand injury and. I mean, that happens at a point in time in the game where already the Raiders are not going to end up with a huge number of passes. But with a couple of the plays that Adams makes, and again, he only catches three of his seven targets. So when you're talking about success rate, when you're talking about all these types of things in a game where you're leading, you understand how the game developed this way. But Ben, my feeling is that until you're up by more than 14 points and definitely by more than 13, you can't completely throttle it down and let the other team have these types of chances because when you're only up 13, then you open yourself up to exactly what happened in this game, which is that fluky results will beat you. You just absolutely cannot lose to the Los Angeles Rams with Baker Mayfield and no wide receivers. This is, uh, you know, potentially a game that, you know, even though it's very early ruins the Josh McDaniels tenure. Yeah. They have been really getting some stuff going. Raiders playing a lot better football since their start where they just were not getting the results they wanted. They started 0-3. They started 2-7. and They had won three straight games, playing a lot better. This gives you an opportunity to get all the way back to 6-7. and You lose it. I wrote in my notes that early on, it felt like a little bit of a fascinating offensive game plan from the Raiders because it was working, but it was sort of annoying to, to me where it I wrote it, it felt like run, 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 short pass, run, then a deep shot to Devonta Adams and a one-on-one versus Jalen Ramsey. And like that's all it was. It's like 1960s football where we're just going to run a ton and then occasionally throw something very deep. Now it works because I had the same reaction that you had, that Devonta Adams is just that good. Like he can beat Jalen Ramsey one-on-one early in the game, catches that one-handed ball. I mean, what, a, what an incredible play. A little bit later, he catches another ball, I think, on the left sideline to get them down and close. But that was before Carr's interception, I think, on that drive. But he has a couple of these long catches. And look, I haven't watched the Raiders, like, particularly closely in terms of, like, their 
offensive game plan and their structure and what's been working lately because early on they didn't have a lot going on. We haven't seen, I don't think, any like uh, standalone games from them, you know, uh, primetime games from them in a while. Looks like not since week five they had a Monday nighter. But Adams, I, I, I noticed just kind of digging into the numbers in uh, stealing signals this week, Adams is – uh, yards per catch this year is a career high by a lot. He's up to uh, now after last night, he's up to 15.2 yards per catch. His previous career high was 13.3 in his third season. In the his other like peak seasons in, in Green Bay, 12.0, 12.5, 12.0, 11.9, 12.6. So he's basically, you know, been a 12 to 12 and a half yards per catch kind of guy. He's been all the way up above 15 this year. His catch rate is way lower than it was in his whole peak in Green Bay. But that, I mean, it's been a different type of receiver. And, I mean, he had a game early in the year where he had 40-plus yards per catch. He only had three catches, 124 yards, two touchdowns. That was a Kansas City game. But really, this has happened over the last month, five weeks, six weeks, where he's had several of these games where he's hit four big plays, downfield plays, Again, I mean, really, I'm just going back to what you're talking about with him being one of the best receivers of all time. He's been such a good route runner and so target dominant and so good in the red zone, short areas, intermediate areas. areas. He can make plays downfield. We've always known that. But when this Raiders team has been bad all year and they're two and seven, they went to, we're just going to give the ball to Josh Jacobs 20 times in a row. And then we're going to chuck it deep to you, Devontae Adams, against defenses in the NFL right now that aren't allowing you to throw the ball deep. What we saw last night was a lot of man coverage from one of the best corners in the NFL. In other games, you're talking about safeties being out there and Adams running routes that is that are so good that even 30 yards downfield, he's sending two defenders off the screen and getting wide open. I mean, he's absolutely incredible that in this offensive atmosphere, he's suddenly become a premier deep threat and making one-handed catches while being, you know, defensive pass interference on the one-handed catch. He's getting one arm pinned down and he's catching one handed with the other arm. I, you know, he didn't have a monster game last night, but to your point, if they would have just kept using him and not, th- not basically given up on the passing game, Derek Carr only throws 20 passes in this game, including, you know, the late interception on their last drive. So really, you know, prior to the Rams comeback had, had only thrown 19. They basically had packed it in and were done throwing the ball and you have that player at wide receiver. I mean, I, I'm with you. They, they should have been throwing the ball a lot more trying to really put the Rams away. At the same time, I just laid out all the other kind of fluky mistakes that lost in this game. They probably still could have won and probably should have still won. Yeah. You have to execute the The chiefs have made some of those same kind of silly mistakes in their games to keep opponents close and to, to allow them to win. As we saw just this last week, the Raiders probably even more egregious, but one of the things that happened early in the season, a couple times they had games where the pass volume to Adams wasn't quite there. And I said to you on the show, they've got to force him the ball, regardless of kind of how that manifests. If it's running him more shorter routes, so he doesn't have, you know, that super high yard per reception element. If it's just throwing the ball deep when he is covered, the catches that he made last night, absolutely insane but he's been doing that for his career he's been definitely doing it over the last five weeks the last five weeks been over 30 points per game for a receiver in fantasy over a five-week stretch to do that 
seven touchdowns, a 39% target share, a 45% share of the air yards, which again, with how they're using him deep, not surprising. An additional 230 yards after the catch, just scorching people in every possible way. I mean, they're going to look at it as we can't make those mistakes, but I think you also have to go back and say, in any game, regardless of the script, Devontae Adams cannot finish with seven targets. Yeah, completely agree. And you look at the, the five prior games, 17, 14, 13, 11, 12 targets. I mean, they kind of understood that. Seven targets on a 20 pass attempt game, still a 35% target share. It really comes down to like they, they needed to call a few more pass plays, frankly. I mean, they were still focusing on him when they did throw the ball. But it, yeah, I mean, it's surprising. A, another Can I mentioned note. that Josh Jacobs didn't get to four yards per carry. I was very impressed again with him as a runner. And you can have games where you are excellent and don't get to four yards per carry as a back. But one of the things, again, that that underlines is the varying levels of efficiency and just how good a runner has to be to impact a game in the same way. They're leading in this game. Again, those things make sense. We understand why it happened, but we'd just still love to see him be more aggressive. Yeah, and he goes to the locker room in the third quarter with a hand injury, gets x-rays, and then basically just comes right back out. I was joking with you before the show. My, my feeling on that was like, look, this guy's in – people love to talk about the idea of a contract year, right? And, I, I mean, I don't put a ton of weight on that. I don't know how you feel about that. It can hit, and it's, I think, easier to – it's one of those things that's easier to explain away in hindsight, like, oh, this was a contract year for Josh Jacobs. He's really trying hard. This is one element where the Raiders aren't really going anywhere. They don't really care about overworking him because he's in a contract year, you know, to some degree. And Jacobs very much wants to get back out on the field. He's having an incredible season. He knows that he just needs to play the rest of the year. He can have 27 carry 99-yard rush games the rest of the way. He's still going to show out as being very efficient, and he's going to lead the league in rushing doing that. So he's earned now the right to be such a big part of their offense, and even when he's inefficient, basically – in his mind, whether this season goes, you know, it looks like the Raiders are not going to make the playoffs. Point I'm making is a lot of other running backs get held out the rest of that game. But Jacobs is like, I'm getting back out there. If you're not telling me it's broken, I'm getting back out there. And the Raiders have no incentive really to keep him off. So this was one of those like very specific situations where I did feel like, yeah, contract year plays in quite a bit here. They're going to keep riding Jacobs. I mean, and so for fantasy managers who have him, who have gotten to the playoffs because of him, I mean, that's an exciting thing to know. Jacobs wants to be out there. He's going to need a broken leg to stay off the field because he's a couple games away from finishing off just a season that's already guaranteed to be so good, whether or not he's fantastic the rest of the way. Just by compiling some more stats, he's going to you know, really make himself a lot of money if he can just stay healthy the rest of the way. And we're rooting for him. The running back contract's so difficult to get even when you are – a star Ben another running back injury that probably is the highest profile kind of news bit of the week or at least the late week Saquon Barkley limited in practice for a couple of days with a neck injury it's not completely clear from his comments or from Dable's comments whether or not he will play they've suggested that he could be held out that would be devastating for fantasy managers who are either in the FFPC finals or if this is your win and in week in your in your league then you want him there this is a guy who drafted at the one two turn and for the first 10 weeks or so of the season looking like a big hit but even 
kind of aside from this neck injury, there have been some frustrating developments with the Giants, their offense, and with Barkley. He's averaging 88 rushing yards on the season, but only 41 of the last three weeks, right? And it's not just been a, a case where maybe they're not using him as much. I mean, he hasn't been nearly as efficient. Those first 10 weeks, he was averaging 3.0 yards after contact per attempt. Anytime you get over three, you're up in that elite range. He had a 15% evasion rate. Part of what Barkley has been able to do there is break the long runs. We know that he is a guy who can create the big play, and that's why you draft people in fantasy. It's the big play ability, it's the receiving ability, and then you want to combine that with the touchdown upside. The last three weeks, this is almost impossible to me. I mean, even in in a three-week sample where you know it's a small (laughs) section here, 0.7 yards after contact and only a 5% evasion rate. The thing that kind of jumps out to me there, and obviously people have very differing opinions on schedule strength and and that type of thing, but especially now that we've had a a big chunk of the season and you know how defenses are playing, people are putting some weight on it, obviously for their DFS, for how they want their roster to kind of be set up for the fantasy playoffs. But this one jumped out to me during this stretch where he was fairly dynamic early weeks one through 10 again, the fourth easiest running back schedule over the last three weeks, the second hardest. That's going to at least have a little bit of an impact on your own personal stats because you're not playing in a vacuum. I mean, you're, you're facing different caliber of opponents. We're both playing Barkley and playing against Barkley. Probably lots of listeners out there who maybe are in some similar kinds of situations, whether or not Barkley plays and then how well he plays. Because if he goes out there, I mean, this could be a situation where if he's at 60% snaps and the Eagles rush defense continues to show that they kind of bounce back from that really kind of disastrous spell there for a second or two, if they bounce back and he doesn't play a lot, I mean, you might actually be looking back on this game and saying, I wish they just held him out. Yeah, it's a tough one. And one of the big, I mean, as you know, one of the big sort of disappointments with Barkley and there's not a ton. I mean, he's, he's had a very great, very good season, 1,300 scrimmage yards right now, is that he's only caught 40 passes, 3.3 per game. I mean, he leads the Giants in receptions as a team that's not throwing a lot overall. A lot of games that look like the game that we just described with the Raiders, where there's just not a lot of pass volume. And so it becomes lower value touches. It becomes a profile that doesn't have a lot of receiving. And, and because they don't score a ton of points, enough green zone opportunities and short yardage opportunities to score touchdowns, He's obviously their preferred weapon when they get down there, but they don't get down there enough, right? And and sometimes they do go other ways. They have Daniel Jones, who has four rushing touchdowns. They have some other elements. Yeah, he's a tricky one this week. I've been trying to figure out what's going on with him because he's he was limited in practice on Thursday and Friday. It seems to be sort of a veteran maintenance thing. It doesn't sound like it was a new injury. It sounds like his neck is sore. Dable's comments reference. Hey, it's week 14. It's been a long season. You know, he's a veteran. He's gotten beat up a little bit. Those parts of it, there was a, you know, we were talking before the show a little bit, and I looked at a, a couple articles. There was a comment in one that pointed out that Barkley, after uh, practice, was at his locker answering questions when very frequently players who were actually hurt are in the training room during that period of the time. So he seems to be not needing treatment right away after practice or anything seems to be reasonably healthy good to go but then you look at Dable's comments and he's saying we'll have to kind of play it by ear we're not really sure if he's going to play or not 
Now, was that gamesmanship from Dable, which is my first thought, and that Barkley's probably going to play? Or is there some reason he might actually want to hold him out? You look at where the Giants are. They're a half game in the playoffs, half game up because of their tie uh, in the playoffs right now. They have the Eagles this week at home. It's a pretty huge game. They can't catch the Eagles. But if they lose this week with the Commanders on a bye, they'll basically fall back into a tie with the Commanders. They would play the Commanders the following week, and that's actually then almost a bigger game. From then on, they go at Minnesota. They play Indianapolis at home, and then they play at the Eagles in week 18. And it's kind of funny. You're like, you'd probably want to split those Eagles games if you're really going to make the playoffs. And so this home game seems to really matter. But that week 18 game is interesting because the Eagles are probably resting, right? Because it's in Philadelphia. They have a fairly decent shot to be the number one seed already locked up by that point. Maybe Dable's looking ahead at the schedule going, that's the game where we really need Barkley healthy at Philadelphia in week 18. And they're not going to be playing Jalen Hurts for four quarters. And also week 15 at Washington is, is the bigger game than this week. We don't want him to aggravate this in a home game against the Eagles that maybe we don't think is our best shot to win, you know, in, in these five games going forward. I'm not sure if that's what he's actually thinking, but trying to look through it and try to figure out if this what seems like we're headed towards a game time decision. And it's possible by the time you hear this, there's already been more clarity and he's playing for sure or he's not playing for sure. But what seems like a, a game time decision, trying to think through it, I'm having a hard time figuring out whether they have like incentive to play him or not. If you have a running back who is clearly worse and yet interesting and maybe is going to be a 50-50 guy in a dynamic offense, I'm thinking obviously of one of the choices we potentially have. The listeners are going to have either maybe that exact same choice or similar choices I mean, someone like a James Cook starts to become interesting with the efficiency that he's demonstrated, the explosiveness of that Bills offense. If you think that Barkley maybe won't play the whole game, the, what you've outlined there and sort of these being binary outcomes for the Giants, I mean, you win or lose these games, you can play your guy half the game but and, and protect him a little bit like that. But you want to play him in a way that either leads to a win or in a loss, maybe you get him completely healthy. And your note about the Eagles is interesting, that Week 18 game, because I think if you don't assume that they're resting players, then you look at that and you're trying to figure out actually where are the Giants going to win some more games. Because if they hold them out of a loss and then you have very winnable games and you're saying maybe we'll take three out of four, something to that effect, then it would make some sense. But if you have all very losable games and you need to play 100% just to have a shot at winning any of them, to win enough to advance, you can't predict the future. So some of that is, you know, maybe being overconfident even in terms of how it's going to impact the game. But I mean, you want to make sure that you play him or rest him in a way that's going to allow you to make the reality playoffs. Right. It's tough. And then if they do rest him a little bit, I mean, I don't know that anyone else is going to be playable, but I've seen a lot of commentary to add Matt Breda. My hypothesis for most of the year, while Breda has been sort of, a free handcuff to add is that he's probably not the actual handcuff. I mean, I could definitely be wrong there, but really wasn't clear that there's any other running back in the, in the equation at all, or who that running back might be. There was the, uh, 
UDFA, I think, way back in draft season that some people liked that. I want to say his name was uh, Deshaun Corbin. Um, you have Gary Brightwell, who was there last year as well. Brita, I think, a guy who can do it, but he has had a hard time holding up the Bills, where he was at with Dable, and Dable sort of brought him over from the Bills, never really used him in a, in a full workload. He was always sort of a you know, change of pace player, right? And he had a nice little stretch for them at one point last year, caught a, caught a couple touchdowns, I think. They hesitated to really play him too heavily. Brightwell did get some time on Thanksgiving, and I thought he looked good. He uh, is a little bit of a bigger back, but was agile. Um, ran five times for 31 yards, caught two passes for 18. I mean, 49 yards and seven touches. Pretty solid little outing for him. Didn't get any touches last week. But Brita played in that game, only had three touches. And it seemed like they were kind of limiting Barkley in that one because it was a short week. I do, I'm not even sure it's going to matter, but I do kind of think that Brightwell's the actual handcuff to Barkley and Brita is Brita in a sort of change of pace role either way. I guess really my, the actionability of that is even if we get an indication or you want to play it as, Barkley is active but not going to play a ton, or we get an indication he might be inactive, then I wouldn't trust Brita. It's not necessarily that I would go out and play Brightwell for sure, but I don't think I, I think there's going to be people that are going to say that Brita is going to be a 15 touchback and to get him in the lineups, I, I'd be uh, scared off of, of playing Matt Brita this week. Yeah, it's tricky. I love Matt Brita. I love the speed. He's one of these guys who has logged multiple on field touches where he's at the very top of the NFL in miles per hour. So, I mean, he can he can break those plays. He still looks fast. And yet, over the last, if you want to look at the last month, Brightwell only has two games where he has offensive snaps. Brita has played in all of them. He has a 56 to 18 snap edge. But even with that, only a two to one edge in opportunities. And you mentioned that those took place for Brightwell on Thanksgiving. I think as you're mentioning, the actionable part is probably just that you would really need to see something else before you played either one of those guys in, in all but the most extreme desperation situations. But on the opposite side of this game, we have A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Jalen Hurts. Those have been some of the biggest and most fun names in fantasy. We're coming off a game where A.J. Brown gets an opposing general manager fired. Devontae Smith also scoring a long touchdown on that one. Jalen Hurts lighting the world on fire from a fantasy perspective. He has these games where he rushes for a huge number of yards. When they are forced to pass, he can do that as well with these two elite weapons. The Giants have been a tough matchup at times, and yet looking at this most recent stretch, they haven't really been shutting people down. They've allowed the seventh most points to wide receivers over the last five weeks. They're averaging over 18 points per game to the top scoring opposing wide receiver over that stretch is pulling up some of the fun stats in the advanced team stat explorer over at Rotoviz. They're tied for the 11th highest boom percentage allowed. They're middle of the pack in most of the other advanced metrics. And then interestingly, and at least as partly as a result of that and the passing matchup Raider looks at this most recent stretch of games and puts more weighting on that AJ Brown, the number seven wide receiver, in the NFL this week, in terms of his score in the PMR, 
I mean, you worry, I think, about this being kind of a low scoring, not exactly slugfest, but a game where the Giants maybe aren't able to keep pace and then the Eagles don't have to do a lot. But there is upside for the receiving weapons as well for Philadelphia. I'm hoping this game actually ends up being pretty exciting. Yeah, one of the elements with the Giants that can be tricky is obviously because they are run heavy, that they don't necessarily play in games that, that feature a ton of offensive play volume on either side. Early in the year, uh, this year, they were you know among the lowest in the league in, in team plays against. Uh, if you go like maybe weeks one through eight, I'm looking at the NFL team pace app over at Rotoviz. But if you go from week eight to week thirteen, this last stretch, teams have been running a lot more plays against them. They're actually among the highest. Uh, five in, in plays against that's going to be a little bit fluky, you know, from game to game and how it plays out the Eagles as a matchup, obviously are a team that is willing to slow down the pace as well, especially if they get out ahead in this game. So I do worry. I mean, it's to me, the matchup stuff, I, I worry about game environment, right? Is there enough pass volume for the Eagles? Is this game competitive enough for four quarters? Do we wind up in a game that, it's one of those low-scoring divisional kind of slugfests that we tend to see late in, in in NFL seasons. It isn't a super low over-under in this game. It's right around 44 and a half. We've seen a lot of games dip down to the 40 and, and even lower when a couple run-heavy offenses will meet each other. So, you know, the Vegas lines are expecting, I think, a little bit that, – that to me – feels higher than than I would have figured it would be. Um, so they're expecting a little bit of an, you know, of an offensive environment. Yeah, this will be a fun one. I, I hope, obviously, that we get a little bit more excitement. If Barkley is limited, maybe that means the Giants are actually throwing a little more. They've been getting some out of – some production out of Darius Slayton. Isaiah Hodgins runs a, a season high, probably career high uh, routes, uh, route percentage last week, catches his first touchdown. He's a guy that we like to out of college as a you know under underrated day three guy. Two true breakout seasons out of Oregon State. Three year college player has like the perfect production profile. Didn't really catch on with the Bills a ton. Had some injuries. Finally got cut. Dable brings him in to the Giants and has been playing him. And you know is familiar with him from from Buffalo where they drafted him in I think the sixth round. You know two three years ago. He's starting to play. He's looking like in my opinion, one of the more interesting, like really under the radar wide receivers in the league from a talent perspective right now. Um, so you got Slayton, you got him, you got Bellinger coming back last week from the really serious eye injury, running a ton of rounds, catching, I think, five balls. Their passing game may be finally getting healthy a little bit. Obviously, still doesn't have Wandell Robinson in there. Uh, but maybe they can throw the ball a little bit in this game for the first time, like all season. And we can get a little bit more of an offensive environment that way because the Giants are you know, not able to lean on Saquon. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, 
Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only, not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. It would be awesome if we got a... Not a stealth shootout, but just a shootout shootout here. I've been very impressed watching the games with Daniel Jones. I think that he is evolving into that poor man's Josh Allen. It's going to be difficult to show that in some of the metrics when you are not surrounded by legitimate NFL receiving talent and enough depth of talent around you, enough variety of weapons. And yet I like the way that he has dealt with that situation, obviously brings the legs to the table as well. Then we do have a player coming back this week. And anytime you have an injured player who has tried to return, failed, trying to return again, we've had a little bit of this with Jerry Judy. Now we're going to get it with Mike Williams. And this Dolphins-Chargers matchup, even though the Chargers have been disappointing this season from a fantasy perspective, especially there are a lot of relevant guys in this game. And if we look at situations where a game has a risk of being disappointing, but also the possibility of shooting out, I think you have to look at this Dolphins-Chargers game. So let's make Mike Williams and his impact on Week 14 on guys like Josh Palmer and Gerald Everett, our win bet, controversial and important player of the week. Sign up today to receive a special sports offer. Bet 100, win 100, download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. I know, Ben, that you guys have some opportunities to help people win with stealing lines, and I'll be interested to hear what you think this game is going to look like because we know that the Chargers want you to run against them We know the Dolphins have been so dynamic passing, but let's start on the other side of the ball. Let's start with this Mike Williams impact. Josh Palmer, someone who has been averaging 16 points per game in this stretch since Williams was first injured. Obviously he came back and he does actually play a few snaps in one of those games in between, but then immediately leaves again. He's only averaging 9.4 when Williams has been healthy and playing. So uh, the other fly in the ointment there is that Keenan Allen has missed most of the season. It's really opened Palmer up to be a volume guy. Over these weeks, 9 through 13, Palmer 90% of the routes. Gerald Everett, the other player who could potentially be kind of pushed out of an opportunity. He's been 51% of the routes. 22% targets per route for Palmer. 20% 
for Everett. They're both right in that eight range in terms of yards per target. Palmer was down 80% routes weeks one through seven when Mike Williams was there, but Keenan Allen only played two games and only 32% of the snaps in those two games. The Dolphins don't let you get deep either. They're tied for fourth best in boom percentage allowed. I, I don't think this one is an easy one to predict. I don't think that any of us really know how this game is going to work out, but Palmer is someone who's gotten people to this point. Everett, because of the dearth of tight end options, someone who's gotten people to this point, and now you have a complication if Mike Williams is actually ready to take on not even a full complement of routes, but to play significantly in this game. Yeah, it definitely has a profound impact. Uh, we have not seen Keenan Allen and Mike Williams play together, basically, at all. Keenan Allen was out for the, the majority of the year. They are both active for the Kansas City game a few weeks back, and Mike Williams only plays six snaps before you know, making a pretty acrobatic catch on the sideline, but re-injuring his ankle, not able to come back, has missed the last couple of weeks since. Allen has you know, mostly held up. And, and last week had 14 targets and, and got the snap share and the route share has been trending up for him. And now he's very involved. The Chargers all year have not looked like a very good passing game. You have the impact of losing their really good left tackle, Rashawn Slater, early. But you also have the impact of losing both Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and not really having playmakers behind it. All you really have is Josh Palmer, DeAndre Carter, a journeyman special teams, or Gerald Everett, a journeyman tight end who, you know, we like, but certainly has his warts, right? Austin Eckler blowing away the running back position in receptions for a reason. I think if, if Williams is back and healthy and Allen's healthy, I mean, it's not like a huge shock, but I think a lot of the volume goes through those two in Eckler, and it is, as you say, very impactful on what Josh Palmer can do in a secondary role as opposed to needing to be a guy that is sort of force-fed targets, right? Whether Herbert is trying to fit balls into him or has other options on the field. Similar can be said about Gerald Everett, how they maybe design plays for Gerald Everett, call plays for Gerald Everett. His routes, as you kind of noted, were higher in the past in some games where uh, you know these guys were missing. They've been down lately, ever had his own little injury issue. The last couple games, down in, down in the less exciting tight end range, he's still a guy in this passing game, I think, at a really thin tight end position. You have to consider. I'd have a harder time with Palmer. He has had some big games over the last few weeks, but the efficiency overall not really been that great, not really justified the amount of volume. He was big in that Kansas City game after Mike Williams went down, a couple of touchdowns, catches a long TD. But you go through his game by game, and you look at some of the you know heavy volume games he's had. Last week, 11 targets, turns out 60 receiving yards. He had a game earlier this year, 12 targets, 57 receiving yards. I mean, these are really poor yards per target numbers. He does have the pair of matching 160-yard games that were good games, but a lot of the you know, games where he's had higher volume, they haven't gotten a lot out of those targets. And so 
It will be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see. I think he makes more sense as a rotational player, a big play threat, a four-target, five-target guy, where Keenan Allen and, and Mike Williams are the core of the passing game. You talk about how this game is going to go. It's a very interesting game. Dolphins favored on the road by three. Really high over-under, 52.5. And, I mean, whenever I see those types of numbers, I'm trying to think of, is this exuberance? Is the under the smart play here? I think you can make a case for that with the way that the Dolphins can run the ball, didn't run the ball effectively last week, might overcorrect a little bit this week. Only ran nine times last week. We talked about this on the last show. Highest pass rate over expected of any team in any game all year. They lose, obviously, to the 49ers. Maybe they overcorrect a little against a Chargers defense that wants you to run. Same time I look at this line and I'm just like, this is one of the high lines I want to stay away from because the Chargers pass game, getting healthy, I still have, I, the reason I brought up Slater first, significant concerns about whether they can protect Justin Herbert. You know, the Dolphins now have Bradley Chubb. They were getting after the quarterback a little bit against the Niners. Chargers have bigger issues on the offensive line. Can they protect Herbert? Can he have time to read out the field and deliver the ball downfield? It's a really interesting game, too. The Herbert Tua discussion has been so uh, heated you know, through the the NFL real draft community because they were tied together in that NFL draft in the top 10. I think both of these teams are going to come out and and be looking to score. The Chargers need this game at home against a Miami team that's traveled a lot over the last couple of weeks. They are underdogs at home, but they, I mean, they're down to six and six now. If they want to be a playoff team, they got to start winning some games. They got to start, I mean, they're looking like they're headed towards Last year, where they missed on the final week, you know, we all watched that Monday night game, rooting for a tie almost, and the Raiders end up winning it. They have to start winning some games so they're not in that position again. And, uh, I mean, whether they're capable of doing it is, is, you know, a different conversation. But Mike Williams being back, potentially getting the downfield passing game going, would be a huge step if, if they can finally use this health of their skill position to, you know, to build out a passing game that hasn't been very productive all season. So yeah, I, I'm intrigued by this game for me, like from a betting angle, I'm having a hard time taking a strong stand anywhere, probably a stay away for me. You mentioned a lot of the interesting narratives here, the draft one, obviously the chargers now under a lot of pressure, like you said, it's not just making the playoffs, but the organization in a little bit of flux, if, they don't and the dolphins at the same time rising the loss last week when the 49ers have a backup quarterback and especially when i think the dolphins thought that you know they were going to be the better version of that team but the dolphins still very very good so to see this matchup it's going to be a lot of fun you look at some of the numbers that are so cool too you have over the last five weeks i don't think anybody hugely surprised to discover that the chargers are 29th in terms of expected points against so not giving up a lot of expected points but number two in fantasy points over expectation if you're making it that easy to throw underneath sometimes that's going to work against you then you pull up the pace tool that you mentioned a few minutes ago the chargers are tied for the fifth lowest number in terms of pass plays against per 60 minutes again they want you to run the other interesting number that jumps out there they are 
number one, or in this case, slowest in terms of seconds per snap against. So teams are taking their time when they run plays against the Chargers. I don't know that we can necessarily expect that. I think the Dolphins here, a team that could still attack them through the year. We talk about these teams who are not capitulating to the opposing defenses. The Dolphins would really be number one on my list, or at least in the top five of teams who are still willing to attack. So that Chargers team is tied for sixth worst in terms of yards per cover snap. The Dolphins passing game on the other side, number one in boom percentage, number one in intended air yards, number three in expected points added per attempt. They're sixth in pass rate and they're eighth in neutral pass rate. Maybe it's just that I love to see points and I love to see these aerial explosions, but I do think that the Dolphins maybe are uniquely set up to beat the Chargers through the air. Now, we have the leg injury for Jalen Waddle. That could slow them down. I believe that Tyreek Hill has missed a practice with illness. That could slow them down. So, I mean, there are hurdles beyond even just the very straightforward on-field stuff. But, man, I I want this to be the type of game that you kind of described in terms of the battle for supremacy. Who is the best pick if we have Justin Herbert doing what he did against the Raiders, if we have Tua doing what he's done all season? I mean, this could be one of the best games of the year. I hope it's that as opposed to just both teams handing off. And I think it will be. I I, I like your point about Miami. I mean, McDaniel doesn't seem like a coach that's going to back down from what the defense is doing because he's been able to scheme his players into intriguing spots. We've talked earlier in the in the season about you know some of the stuff down in the deep middle where they were just blowing away every other team in terms of completions into that area. Been a very efficient area for passing games. He's been able to do things schematically that allow you to still throw into pass defenses. You know, against teams that want you to run. He also, from a game planning perspective, doesn't particularly seem like somebody who is going to just capitulate and run when you tell him you want him to run. You know, and that's again, we talk about the future of the NFL being offensive coaches that see fronts and defensive looks that traditionally have said to an offense, kill the pass play and run the ball at the line of scrimmage, but seeing that and still willing to pass. Mike McDaniel might be the, you know, exhibit a of what that could look like for the future of the nfl so it will be interesting to see if we see that in this game right uh i'll be bummed if it's not that because i you know i'm sitting here obviously getting a little too excited and hopeful that mcdaniel is this coach this chosen son that's going to show the other head coaches other offensive minded uh you know younger head coaches that look you can still throw against these types of defenses defensive looks here's how you can beat them it's a copycat league. Uh, we need that not just for this year, m- more importantly for the, the future of the NFL for the, for 2023 and 2024. It's not a battle for the, you know, for the for everything, but it is one of these things where you start to show those answers and get them on film against a team like the Chargers who are sitting into these coverages, and teams are going to take notice and, and it can start to actually shift the, the league-wide trends in a positive way. So that would be fun. John, you had some notes on some other games. What was what was the next game you want to take us to? Yeah, the, so then I think that leads very naturally into another team that sort of imposes their will as opposed to being dictated to. You have the Buffalo Bills, perhaps the best team in football. They've had some hiccups in the middle part of the season. 
obviously the AFC East has been resilient and has risen up to give them more of a battle, I think, than people expected. You have this game this week against the New York Jets where suddenly with Mike White unlocking Garrett Wilson, we hope we'll eventually unlock Elijah Moore, you have Zonovan Knight as maybe the most fun sort of pure zero RB pickup. There have been a lot of other zero RB draft hits this year, but Knight, the guy who right now has been that waiver wire ad where suddenly you can plug him in, you're scoring real points. This game, a lot of fun, and it's interesting because Stefan Diggs, Gabe Davis, I know, Ben, you had some folks reach out asking about Davis. They have two of the four worst overall matchups in the PMR this week among all wide receivers. And you dig in a little bit and you can see, okay, the Jets have been shutting people down, right? They're 31st in terms of fantasy points allowed to the wide receiver position over the last five weeks. So only one team better. The fantasy points over expectation dead last. I mean, you're just not generating efficiency against them. They did hold Stefan Diggs down to 14, and that's still obviously a very playable game, but did that in week nine. They held Justin Jefferson down, again, to a very playable game, but didn't let him blow up last week. The Jets are fourth best in the NFL in yards per cover snap allowed. They are number two in boom percentage allowed. They're going to make it difficult for the Bills to do what they've been doing which is scorching teams all over the field. They have those deep shots to Davis. He's been inconsistent, but we know that he brings that. Diggs has been the prototypical superstar wide receiver who gets open at all levels, wide variety of routes, allows the team to do so much. But the Jets and their young ascending defense, a team that maybe is uniquely positioned to give them some trouble, and then you wonder, how will that filter down to the backs? And the split that we saw last week where James Cook finally very involved does that go and does he take the next step and actually firmly supplant Singletary I mean Singletary had the weaker workload but did play I believe one more snap than Cook last week but when we could see a full changing of the guard here which as Singletary fans you know would be disappointing but also as Cook fans you almost would like to see it go one way or another so that one of these backs can really influence your fantasy score but I don't think we're going to see that. I don't think we're going to see a full changing of the guards. Personally, I, I think you're right to say that it's a possibility, right? But they've done this with a lot of different backs. They do like Singletary. When other running backs haven't been ready for various points of the season, they've been very willing to lean heavily on Singletary. I think it would be very surprising to see him get completely cut out at this point. And I kind of wonder if, you know, it wasn't a short week last week. I think I may have said that on one of the shows, but it was because they played on Thanksgiving, full rest. And it's interesting that the short week was leading into Thanksgiving and Singletary still played a huge percentage of the, of the snaps on Thanksgiving. They got a full Thursday to Thursday week. And they do activate, or not activate, but use Cook a lot more, use Hines a lot more, I mean, I think you have to be pretty optimistic about what that's going to mean going forward for Cook's potential, but I don't know. It feels like a little bit of a committee that's not 
that's that's tough, right? And, and that's not going to be super fun. You mentioned the the Jets' pass defense. I mean, we got to just mention Sauce Gardner, who's been incredible and has the most incredible name of any cornerback in the league. I don't know if we have like a Sauce Island going on yet, but um, that sounds a little bit too enjoyable to go to Sauce Island. It's got to be a negative, right? So um, he's been incredible. There are other Michael Carter has played very well in the slot. I know for them, their, their secondary is good, good defense. Robert Sala coaching them up. The jets. I mean, they're 10 point underdogs in this game, but they're not a, like a bad team. I think for fantasy football, the big storyline for me here is look, Robert Sala didn't want to bench Zach Wilson. I think that's clear. The team kind of mutinied and didn't give him a choice. But he said, even as he decided he was going to go to Mike White, we're still going to go back to Zach Wilson at some point. He said that again after Mike White's first start. said it again last week after they lost to the Vikings. If they lose again this week at Buffalo, they play Detroit at home in the following week. It feels like a really nice time to go back to the quarterback that you want to be playing anyway, that the organization wants you to be playing. So I'm really rooting for Mike White to play well because we don't want to see that right before the fantasy playoffs when Mike White has unlocked this whole Jets offense. We've had enough of these, you know, unfortunate incidents with offenses here in 2022. Mike White, been exciting for this team. I mean, this team went from 103 total yards in Zach Wilson's last start to 466 and 486 the last two weeks with Mike White under center. I mean, Those they lost, their... but they outgained the Vikings by 200 yards. Right. Those are the two highest numbers they've put up all year. Their only other 400-yard game all year was when Joe Flacco was under center in week two against Cleveland. Zach Wilson, you have more sub-300-yard games than, than even, you know, 300-yard games, I'm pretty sure, or it's close. I don't know. I haven't added that up, but I just, you got to keep playing Mike White and we need him to play well here for Garrett Wilson's sake, for anyone else's sake that you might have Zonovan Knight. If you're still waiting on Elijah Moore to break out. I mean, I want to see a, a good Mike White game here and a competitive game where the Jets, you know, cover the spread. That would be what's best for fantasy football. That's what we deserve, Sean. I mean, from a probability perspective, it wouldn't be, surprising at all for the bills to win by two touchdowns three touchdowns but i mean much more often than not the jets have this game within 10 points don't you think yeah i do i like that line this week so if you are betting over on win bet with our sponsors that's one i, I do like but i agree with you there i think that the jets side of this very interesting from a fantasy perspective if you're playing against Diggs. If you're playing against Allen and it's not the matchup that you're looking for in week 14, and I mean the matchup and that your fantasy team has to play him, the good side of this is that you may get bailed out and not necessarily bailed out. Obviously, you've got to go play your opponents. The Jets uniquely positioned to hold down this Buffalo juggernaut. We had the Bengals really take the lead on the Kansas City Chiefs in terms of owning their part of that rivalry, this is a chance, I think, for the Jets to get in there and start to build a rivalry 
with this Buffalo Bills team. I do think the AFC East now set up so well to be the power division, the storyline division, the fantasy explosion and excitement division, not only as we go down the stretch here, but for the next two, three, five, maybe 10 years. And if Mike White is still pulling the trigger in 10 years, that in and of itself, unlikely, but will be a really cool storyline. We are rooting in that direction. Jets, if you want to develop Zach Wilson, do it again next offseason. We don't need to see it during actual football. Then there are some other great games this weekend. Obviously, you're looking at the Seahawks trying to overcome some of their injuries and make another little push. They should be able to handle the Panthers. But in a given Sunday, you definitely don't know. You have a big game between the 49ers and the Buccaneers. You have the Baltimore Ravens trying to win against Pittsburgh without Lamar Jackson. It's going to be just such a great week. I'm excited for that New England Patriots, Arizona Cardinals matchup. Kyler Murray, healthy. DeAndre Hopkins, Marquise Brown. What do they have compared to what Bill Belichick has? Maybe a little bit of a gap in overall coaching strength there. But fortunately for any Cardinals fans, the Patriots are allow- are allowing never-has-beens to, to run their offense. So maybe that balances out a little bit. But that's going to do it today for us on Stealing Bananas. We've had such a fun time with you all. Again, we're rooting really hard for your teams this weekend in week 14, whether that's to win a title or to make the fantasy playoffs and start your run. Either way, then I think this is going to build on week 13, which was the most fun season, at least for us so far in 2022. The fantasy playoffs are going to be awesome. The playoff playoffs with new contests and underdog FFPC, those are going to be a lot of fun. I think that the football itself is starting to look better, at least in terms of the aesthetic that I prefer. As we go forward here, I'm Sean Siegel. With me as always is Ben Gretsch. You can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals. We mentioned the Stealing Lions betting project a couple times during the show. If you're interested in that side of it, Ben and Dalton Cates have you covered there. Make sure you take a gander at that product. You'll really enjoy working through their information. On the betting side, we'd love to have you guys join us over at Rotoviz. We've changed up the coupon code a little bit, or we changed up the promotion for radio listeners, where you can get a, ten, a 25% discount to Rotoviz for a one month sub. You don't have to make the full year subscription and you get a bigger discount. This for those folks who maybe want to try out some of the tools that Ben and I talked about on the show, or just want to make that Christmas present to someone maybe you don't know what to get for them. You can always get somebody a fantasy football subscription. They'll love that. Sign up for the feed. Leave us a rating and review. Drop some of those comments over there on YouTube. Good luck in week 14. I feel like the Stealing Bananas community is going to go a billion and up. Undefeated this week. We'll talk to you guys soon. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience. 
not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.